Thanks for tuning in to the Renew Life Church Lubbock podcast today. We hope this message encourages you as you allow God's word and his presence to change your life. How's everybody doing this morning? Doing good? Early crowd, good to see you guys this morning. And just in case you're new or never seen me before, my name's Braden. I'm the lead pastor here at Renew Life Church, and we're just honored to be here. Can we just take a minute and give your campus pastors, Keith and Natalie, a round of applause? guys do such a good job, and um, yeah, I'm really excited to, excited to be here. If you've got your Bibles, turn to John 6. We're going to jump in. Leanne was pretty presumptuous saying she couldn't be fired um, for taking my time. I thought that was pretty interesting. She acts like she runs this thing, so we'll just see about that. Um, uh, John chapter 6, we'll get there in a minute. I just want to do a little bit of uh, kind of family talk to get this, uh, get this morning started um, Back in 2019, um, we planted the church in Midland in uh, 2013, and around 2019, um, some things began to happen. Uh, I remember we were just in, the, our church was just in this incredible place, to be honest with you. At least we, that's the way we perceived it. And uh, we had had Easter service. Uh, I think we had an Easter service. We had like 1,700 people show up at our Easter service. We were having to rent out different facilities uh, just to make room because we didn't have enough room at the, the facility we were renting. So we had to rent out the largest facility that they had there in Midland to do our Easter service. And uh, that always feels good. Uh, we had had some, uh, a lot of really good things were happening at that time. We had completely, we had gone under construction uh, with our, our new building there in Midland. We were on the way to not having to set up and tear down anymore. Um, we actually set up, did set up and tear down in our Midland campus for seven years uh, we all just pray that that does not happen here. We want a building sooner. Um, but we were excited. We, we had, uh, I think I've told this story before, but we had a, a miracle Sunday when the church was only about, I don't know, four or 500 people. Uh, we took up an offering, and in one Sunday morning, we brought in $1.2 million. Uh, and that's not pledges, someone's saying we're going to give. That's actually that was actual dollars, and um, so it was just, the God, God was doing incredible, incredible things. Uh, we were seeing miracles every single week. It was incredible, uh, even financially. I mean, uh, we brought in the money to, to get the building underway. Things were going good where that's concerned, but we also just were really strong financially. I, uh, finances and church finance was one of the, my biggest areas of insecurity when we planted the church, and especially when the church started growing. Uh, I thought, gosh, I, I so badly wanted to steward the finances of the ministry well with wisdom. And I remember submitting our finances multiple times uh, to different ministries and just saying, leaders in my life, and saying, hey, anything you see, we could be doing better, more wisdom, better percentages, whatever. And every time I opened our books to someone, they said, man, you guys are absolutely killing it. You're doing a great job. Just keep on moving forward. So uh, in, in a lot of ways, the, the church was... Um, thriving by, by so many different metrics. But after, shortly after Easter, if, I, if my memory serves me out, I think it was just after Easter, I'd, I mean, you have this big service, you rent out this big facility, all these people show up. There's a lot of things that you could be uh, excited about. But there was something in me that was like, something still doesn't feel right. And it was when, it was around that time that this, this phrase kind of dropped into my heart, uh, and I felt like the Lord's, and I just felt like the Lord was speaking, but it was this phrase of, I think we've gotten really good at gathering a crowd, but I'm not so sure we're making any disciples. And I felt like we had become professionals at gathering a crowd, 
but I wasn't so sure that we were seeing the fruit of, of, of making disciples. Around that time, I also read a book by the guy, uh, the guy's name is Francis Chan. You guys ever heard of Francis Chan? Phenomenal guy, and uh, wrote a book called Letters to the Church. Uh, if you've not read that church, I encourage you to read it. It's a phenomenal, phenomenal read. And one of the things in the, uh, I was actually watching a promo video of this particular book, and he was describing kind of how he came to some of the conclusions that he came to in the book. And he said, uh, he said, I want you to do an exercise. He said, I want you to describe the church, but only use scriptures. Describe the church. And he was talking to uh, leaders. He said, describe the church, only use scriptures. He, he said, uh, but then after that, he said, now describe your church, the church you go to or the church you lead. And he said, then ask yourself the question, are you still okay with your church? And I, I, it was a fascinating thing for me to do as well because it's like, okay, when you describe the church, only use scriptures, I discovered there were a lot of things that we were doing that it was more the church of America, not the church of the Bible. And uh, we're going to talk more about that as we go along because I think it's important that we regularly readdress not just in the church, but even in our own personal lives, we regularly readdress uh, how do we define success? How do we define success? How do you define success in your personal life, and how do we define success uh, as a church? A, a couple of months ago, I was at a pastor's gathering in Boston, and there was a guy there by the name of Darren Davis. Darren's got a phenomenal church in the I think it's the Fort Lauderdale. It's, it's east coast of Miami, but I think it's Fort Lauderdale area. And uh, he was talking about how he had read a, an, a post uh, on, on social media right before he had come to that deal on church growth and some church coaching network type of thing. And, he, and this is what he said. He said, uh, I read this post that says, church leaders, these are the five metrics that you should be measuring to determine how your church is doing. Uh, so this is what it said. It said, uh, measure your church attendance, your giving, the number of church programs that you have, number of church staff that you have, and the total square footage of church properties owned. And it, when he said that, it's like, whatever happened to making disciples? Whatever happened to people getting saved? Whatever happened to people getting baptized? And, and I, I want you to understand something. And I'm not trying to be ugly, but I'm trying to be honest. This is the American church today. There, it, there's an American Jesus and a Bible Jesus. And they don't always walk hand in hand. And it's like we, every now and then we've got to take a couple steps back and go, wait a minute. Have I made Jesus in my image? <laughs> Have I created a God in my image or am I made in his? Am I still trying to discover who he called us to be, who he called me to be, who he called us to be? Is he the one that's the, the, the head of the church or are we the head of the church? See, in America, bigger's better. I'm just not so sure, and we'll see this more later, I'm just not so sure that that's, that's the same. I, in the scripture, I read something the other day on, on, um, on Twitter. Uh, for all you young people, it's, a, it's another social media thing that has no pictures or videos or dances um, just throw that out there. Um, but I saw this Twitter post and it said that if Paul saw the church in America today we'd all be getting a letter I think that is that is true but while Darren was preaching uh, there in, in Boston and, and talking about this the Lord brought something to my to my mind in John chapter 6 and uh, I want to talk a little bit about that today 
uh, a little bit of catch-up, because we're going to start in verse 47, but a little bit of catch-up. Jesus had just fed the 5,000. Pretty incredible thing. After he had fed the 5,000, it said that he knew that they were going to try to capture him, the people that he had fed, capture him, and force him to be their, their king. There were so many wrong translations of some prophetic words of the Old Testament about a deliverer and so on and so forth. And, and a, lot of, a lot of Jews at the time thought that this deliverance was going to be a military deliverance. And so it was going to be this, this takeover of the government. And so when they, when they recognized, wait a minute, he, he could be the king, they automatically assumed it must be be some big government takeover. And so uh, it says that after he fed the 5,000, they were going to capture him and make him be their king. So Jesus says he goes to the mountain literally to hide from them. And after he was, had gone, said the disciples went, got back in their boat, headed back across the Sea Galilee, back to Capernaum. And everyone there noticed that Jesus didn't get in the boat with them. And so, uh, and y'all know this story, uh, as the disciples were going back, the, the entire journey of back across the sea to, the, to Capernaum's shoreline uh, was supposed to be about seven miles, seven to eight miles. And um, it says about three miles into the journey, a storm came. You guys know the story, the storm came, Jesus came to them walking on the water. Uh, a little miracle that doesn't get talked about enough, I don't think, is it says when Jesus got in the boat, immediately they were on the other shoreline. So he literally translated the boat, the disciples, all immediately from three miles across to immediately seven miles. So uh, kind of a cool little thing there. Um, gets over there. The people were confused. They noticed that Jesus had not gotten the boat with the disciples, yet they're still looking for him. They can't find him anywhere. Uh, they jumped in their boat. Some other people had, some, they, people love boats back then. That's a, that's a sign from the Lord that I should have a, maybe another boat. But um, So he goes across. He's back in Capernaum. Some questions started arising. Jesus is kind of challenging them on their thought process. Jesus had a habit of reading people's minds and he would know what they were thinking and he would answer their thoughts. They wouldn't even have to answer the question or ask the question, he would just answer their thoughts. And um, so he's answering some of their questions and he's basically telling them, hey, you guys, you don't even really care about the miracles that I'm doing. You just like the food that I cooked you yesterday the five, when I fed you. And I'm like, how good must this bread and fish been that that's what they were after, not the healing. And so uh, that's kind of where we arrive here in verse, uh, verse 47. I'll start reading. It's a little bit more reading than I would normally do, but I think it's important to set some context here. Uh, John chapter six, starting in verse 47, says, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Can we all just be honest? We'd probably be asking the same question. Um, but I want you to notice something. He, he makes a comment uh, about eating his flesh, and it stirs up a bit of a, an argument. It says they quarreled among themselves, and Jesus is watching this go down. But watch instead of... Uh, Watch how Jesus, instead of toning it back, watch his approach to this. Verse 53, then Jesus said to them, most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh, come on, Jesus, and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father, because of the Father. So he who feeds on me 
will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. Then it says this interesting little scripture here, verse 59. I think this was just for me. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Now, pause here for just a second. We're going to finish this story, but I want to pause just for a second. I want you to notice something. He just kept saying it. Like we've read this story and we got, we, our brains sometimes go, remember that time when Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood? No, no, no. He said it like 90 times. It's like he noticed that it, it pricks something in their heart, that it bothered them in a certain way. It's like, oh, really, that bothers you? I'm going to say it over and over and over. Like if I'm one of the disciples, especially like one of the key 12, and you know you're on his staff and he just keeps saying it, like I'll be on the front row like, hey, you got to stop this, man. This is not going, this is not going well. So he, he keeps on and on and on. Not to mention, it says he was teaching this in the synagogue. This wasn't even like a leadership meeting. Like this was a no, normal Sunday service. There's times as a church leader where if we want to say certain things, we'll wait till like a leadership gathering, people that are already committed, they're already with us all the way. So we'll say a little harder things there. But he said this like, this might as well have been Easter Sunday. He's saying this thing in front of, in front of, Everyone, love this. Keep reading, verse 60. It says, therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples had complained about this, he said then, does this offend you? Also known as, you mad, bro? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were and who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore I've said to you, no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. Verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go away? Simon Peter answered, to him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And also we've come to believe and to know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. We'll stop there for today. Um, I feel like there's a ton, a ton to unpack here. Uh, and I just wanna begin by saying that I, I feel like there's primarily two angles, two angles that I wanna look at today. Um, especially if you take my life, uh, me personally, uh, there's two different angles that I, that I have to read this story through. First of all, just like you, I'm supposed to be a follower of Jesus. So when I read stories like this, I'm supposed to be watching how the disciples respond to Jesus. How did, what were some disciples tempted to do? What, were, what was the, 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 the grid, if you will, the tenacity of these other disciples? So I personally have to read this scripture and go, okay, I want to be a follower like what Pal Peter answered and said, Lord, where would we go? What's the other place that we're going to go? We believe you have the words of eternal life. We believe you're the Messiah. We believe that you're God. So I have to read this and, and through that filter. The second filter I have to read this through is the fact that not only am I called to follow Jesus as a leader in the church, I'm also supposed to lead like Jesus. Do you understand that? Follow him, Yes. But as we grow up and develop, and the scripture says those who aspire into leadership or are called into leadership, whatever, we don't just follow him, 
we look to him as our example of leadership. Matthew chapter, uh, I want to read this scripture here. Um, I think I'm skipping down here. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 says, And I also unto thee, thou, and I say also unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock, I, this is Jesus speaking, I will build my church. I will build my church. Jesus was the first church leader. Jesus is more responsible to building, for building the church than I am responsible for building the church. So as I'm, as I'm watching this, as I'm listening to how he's talking, as I'm watching how he's leading, as I'm watching how he's preaching, he's given me an example of how to lead. Look in verse 66 again. It says, from that time, Jesus had given his message. Jesus had said what he had said. Verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and they walked with him no more. Now, if, if, if we're using the American church metrics as our, as our measurement of success, if the church is big and then it gets small, that's an L. We lost. I mean, for the record, if after preaching today, almost all of you don't come back next week, I'm not going to feel good about what I just did. The good news is Keith has to clean it up. Not me. Uh, but seriously, think about that. Think, just be honest. If, you hear a me- if, if you're preaching a message and almost everyone leaves while you're preaching this message, this is not, this is not a win. But it says a lot about what Jesus values the most. And I wrote this down. I, said, I wrote down that Jesus valued purity over population. The great leader, Jesus himself, the, the, the leader of the church, the head of the church, he valued, at least in this particular situation, he valued purity over population. See, he didn't, when he noticed that the message that he had preached was offensive, notice he didn't try to soften it. He repeated it. And, in the, and a lot of times what happens, and I'm just being honest with you, especially when you, when you walk around, which we all do, with a certain amount of fear of man, when we say something, we're kind of looking for your response. Let me just tell you a little bit about what goes up on this stage. Like, we need you to say amen. Like, I'll just, thank you, mom. It's my mom. <laughs> we even have little tricks. If we're not feeling good about it, y'all ever seen this one? We'll be like, we'll say something good and we'll go, oh, this side of the church ain't listening. I'm gonna come over to this side of the church. What are we doing? We're eliciting a response. Not to a certain degree, we're trying to get you engaged in the service, which I think could be a good thing. But what I'm trying to do is be honest with you. Human beings, all of us, carry a certain degree of fear of man. But I propose to you that Jesus had none. He had no fear of man. Complete reverence to his Father. At one point he said, I only say what my Father tells me to say. And I only do what I've already seen my Father do. Not, not, your facial expressions could not have changed Jesus' message this much. Your lack of amens could not change his message. So as a church leader, I'm watching this and I'm realizing I gotta grow. Now if next week Keith marches around on both sides of the stage, don't judge Keith for what Keith's going through, you know. <laughs> I've done it, I do it. Here's my point. Jesus is my model. Jesus is my leader. And I'm concerned that we've watched too many things in America and go, wait a minute. Hey, if you'll just say it differently, it won't come across so harsh. Jesus didn't say it differently. He just said it again louder. And then he said it again. 
And then he said it again. And then he said it again. And then he, drink my flesh, eat my flesh, drink my blood. Drink my blood. B-L-O-O-D. Blood. He just kept saying it. So aggressive. It's almost as he, he it's almost as if he not for one second considered the consequences of his words. Yet I propose that's our American thinking that makes us think that way. He knew everything that he was doing. He knew everything that he was saying, and he was saying it on purpose because it wasn't about the population of his following. It was about the purity. And I propose that when he was done preaching, the population had gone down, but the density of faith had gone up. The Lord said this, I, I, um, I wondered if I was going to share this because I don't usually get like, thus saith the Lord. But the Lord spoke to me very clearly back there during the worship. He said, I'm preparing my church. I'm preparing my church, he said, and I'm purifying my church. So many people, it's really easy to get excited about uh, uh, a great influx, a, a revival, revival's coming, hundreds and thousands of people are going to get saved, we're going to fill the church, we're going to fill them with churches, with preachers that don't even know what they're preaching, that don't even all the way know what they believe, that have an American version of preaching that preach for people to come back. I'm getting ahead of myself. Again, I propose it wasn't the population that he was after. It was the purity that he was after. Now, as a church leader, who Jesus is, my, Jesus is my example, not just the one I follow, he's the one I imitate in leadership. It makes me realize that my goal today cannot be to preach so that you will come back. It's to preach so that you will come up. And let me just be clear. I really want you to come back. I really do. Because much like Peter, I would say to you, where else are you going to go? Who else has the words of eternal life? Who else is the Messiah? Who else is the Son of God? There is none other than him. But I'm, what I would have to say is, I need you to adjust, not ask him to adjust. I don't, I don't get a choice. I don't, I, I'm concerned that as a church, we've gotten really good at trying to find um, ways to take the purity of Scripture and do what we think is a, a service to the Holy Spirit by, well, here, we're going to make this more acceptable. Another way to say that, we're going to make this easier to swallow. And I, I have no problem, none, we do it, in terms of adjusting our methodology for in, in terms of wisdom. But I'll tell you what needs no adjusting, and that is the Scriptures. No adjusting. No adjusting needed. There's a reason it's still the best-selling book of all time. <laughs> if Jesus is my model, if he didn't preach to get people to come back, he got people to come up. If he didn't shy away from difficult things. In fact, let me just go back and read it again. Notice it says, John chapter 6, verse 60. It says, therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, they said, this is a hard saying. This one's a hard one. Another, trans, excuse me, another translation said it this way. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a difficult teaching. Who can accept it? My favorite's the Amplified when it says, when many of his disciples heard this, they said, this is difficult and harsh and offensive. Who, th I love this part. 
Who can be expected to listen to this? Let me tell you who can be expected to listen to this. Disciples. Not every Christian will listen to this. Not everyone that just said, hey, I remember that day when the preacher said, hey, if you don't want to go to hell, you want to go to heaven, raise your hand. Well, duh. The bigger question is when the hard sayings came, when the difficulty came, did you keep following? Did you keep following? Now, with this as my example, I, I don't have a choice whether or not I shy away from, from difficult, hard things in Scripture. Like, we actually have to talk about pride. We have to talk about these things. We have to talk about uh, walking in, in deception. That's the best translation I can give you for what pride is. Pride is walking in deception. You think higher than you should. You're giving credit to you when the credit only belongs to him. That's pride. Pride is focusing on you. It leads to two things, arrogance and insecurity. Because if you're always looking at you and you like what you see, that's arrogance. If you're looking at you, you don't like what you see, insecurity. What's the thing to do? Stop looking at you. What does Hebrews tell us we're supposed to be looking at? Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Got to talk about pride. We got to talk about things like submission to authority. If right now you can't answer this question, there's some development to be had. Who are you submitted to? Here, let me say it a different way. Who can tell you what to do? All that ruffles feathers. Well, bless God, only God can tell me what to do. Well, then you're not following the scriptures. And that's fine. You might love him. You, you might go to heaven. You just may not walk in the fullness of what he has for you here on this earth. Because the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, submit yourselves one to another. The inference is another of the same kind. Submit yourself to someone like you, another human who doesn't have it all figured out. Well, how am I supposed to know if I submit to them if they're giving me the right advice? The right advice is to follow the scripture, which says to submit yourselves one to another. Who are you submitted to? Who can tell you what to do? How often do you even ask other people questions and give them a chance to tell you what to do? I have a lot of people ask me all the time, like, you know, how do I find a spiritual father? And that, that's always a thing. People are wanting to know, how do we find spiritual mothers and fathers? What, what, what's the saying? When the student is ready, the teacher appears. When the student is ready, you mean how to get the student ready? Learn to listen. Learn to ask questions. Go to someone that's not perfect and say, hey, what would you suggest I do in this situation? Find someone that has a, who's further down the road in something that, than you are, whether that's parenting or marriage or finances or whatever, f- physical fitness, and say, hey, I've noticed you're ahead of me in this area. I have some questions. That's called going low and submitting yourself to someone. Don't get advice from them. Get instructions from them. There's a big difference. We love giving, getting advice. You know why we love getting advice? Because we're still in control. Well, I'm going to gather a few opinions, and I will decide what I'm going to do. Not submission. Forgiveness. Did you know the Bible actually says, if you don't forgive others, he won't forgive you? Did you know that your salvation hinges on your forgiveness? <laughs> these, are, these are not, e- I, sometimes I'm like, I'll just be honest with you. Sometimes I read scriptures like that in Matthew 16 or 6, 15, and I'm like, Lord, I don't understand how that one works. Like, because I thought if, if I believe in you, 
If I believe that you're the Messiah, I believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. I've, I thought that was what, but now I'm reading here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 15. It's like, wait a minute. I have a part to play in this. I'm just going to be really honest with you. I don't know how to, I don't know how to balance all that out. Oop, coming off the stage here. I don't know how to balance all that out. But here's what I would propose that you do. Just forgive just in case. I got a good idea of what I'm going to be doing. If I don't know, forgive. And yet I'm fully aware that some of you in here, what has happened to you and what you're going to have to forgive is atrocious. I'm not minimizing what happened to you. I don't want to ever make light. I, you know, I am very blessed. I, I had incredible parents growing up. I was never abused. I was never, I, I never had anything done wrong to me. I, I was told to pull too many weeds a few times, but that's neither here nor there. That's about the extent of my inner damage. <laughs> like I got to, had to pull weeds when I was 10. You know, I was like, oh gosh. Uh, what, what I'm saying is I didn't have a lot of stuff to overcome. So it's real easy for me to talk about forgiveness. I think, I mean, the worst thing anyone's ever done for me is stole money. Like there's, that's literally about the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Some of you, that is not the case. It's just not the case. So it's, what, I, what I try to stay tender to is when I talk about forgiveness, what that means to me and what that means to you is a whole different can of worms. Let me tell you what's the same. The scripture. There's not a Braden International Version and a U International Version. There's, there's not another version of this. And so I don't get a choice, even when I know that you've been wronged, even when I know that what's happened to you was, I mean, makes me want to hurt somebody. But you have to say, Lord, I, this is, might be the hardest thing I ever do. But because of your word, not my will, yours be done. I'm choosing to forgive them. And if that means I have to wake up every single day of my life, every single day of my life, and the first words out of my mouth are, I forgive. Today I'm choosing to forgive. Let me just tell you something. Forgiveness is a choice, not an emotion. You may never fully feel, and this is another one. This will help you. This will free you. You may never actually even feel like you've forgiven them. But you can choose to. Your emotions lie to you all the time. Your emotions try to condemn you all the time. You're, the, the enemy wants to work with your partner with your emotions to make you feel terrible. He knows you know this word, so he wants to make you believe, oh, you haven't forgiven them. And every time you have that thought, you know what you do? Say, yes, I do. I forgive. The Bible says, call those things that be not as though they were. Those are the easy ones. <laughs> Pride, submission. But then I gotta talk to you about Tithing. I actually have to tell you that, no, actually, God has a plan for your money. Oh, that's old covenant. See, you need to read your Bible more. Tithing existed. You know who originated tithing? Abraham. You know what Abraham was? A Old Testament prophetic foreshadowing of the new covenant. Because it said Abraham believed God. This is before Jesus had ever done what he did. It said Abraham believed God, and God counted it unto him as righteousness. What does that sound like to you? The gospel. I get counted righteous because of what I believe, not because of what I do. Abraham did that, and Abraham was the originator. Let me say it a different way. The new covenant originated tithing. The prophetic Old Testament uh, new covenant originated a principle that said, 
Lord, I'm so, I'm so aware that you have delivered my enemies into my hands. I'm going to give you a tenth of everything. So we have to talk about that. And, and here's, here's, what the, here's what statistics tell me right now. If we were one of the best churches on the planet as, as it pertains to giving, 50% of you people in this room tithe. I mean, if we're, we're top tier. Bottom tier, usually 10%. But if we were a top tier church in America today, 50% of the people in this room are actually tithers. You know what that means? 50% of y'all just got ticked off. And if I followed Jesus' model, if I heard the murmuring and the grumbling and saw, you know what I'd say? Tithe. Tithe. No, really, tithe. You should tithe. Why aren't you tithing? You should tithe. And I would just say it until it got awkward for all of us. That's what Jesus did. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. Oh, is this bothering you? Drink my blood. He just kept saying it. We have to talk about sexual sin. I'm convinced the world isn't, that God is not moving the way we all hope and dream and know he will eventually move in the world right now because it's like, He's going to send them to a church that still doesn't know if they want to talk about sexual sin. We don't even want to act, we don't even know what we believe. We have parents that don't have the courage to talk to their kids about sex. The right kind, the heterosexual kind, the kind God created, male and female kind. And yet we've got a world that is so confused. And let me just tell you this, the world's not getting quieter in this area. They're not getting quieter. But I'll tell you what else is happening. Our children are becoming more and more confused. They're more and more confused about this. And we have an enemy pioneering this move with the LGBTQ, and now I learned it's AI plus or something, IE plus something, because that means we're going to continue to add letters, which they will. They will. And we're saying, I saw this the other day, you need to be tolerant because Jesus is tolerant. You won't find one scripture that said Jesus is tolerant. You'll find a scripture that said he is merciful. Merciful and tolerant, not the same thing. When Jesus saw a woman in sin, says they brought this woman to her in sin, said we caught her in adultery, sexual sin. In the very act, what do you say? Now what did he do? He defended her, the person in public. But when he got her off to the side, what did he tell her? Stop. Stop. Stop what? Stop, stop sinning. If we don't even have the courage to call homosexuality a sin, you think we're going to have the courage to look at the sinner and say, hey, I love you, but you need to stop. Of course we're not. We have to talk about these things. We got to talk about abortion. This, this is, I'm, I'm 100% certain this one's fixing to ruffle some feathers, but um, see, I have daughters. I have all girls. And my oldest came to me when we were, talk, we were having a conversation about this at home, and she said, Dad, this doesn't seem right. Some of this doesn't seem right. And uh, she said, so you're telling me if someone, a little girl that's innocent gets raped, you're saying that abortion's wrong. And I said, no, sweetie, I'm not saying that. The Bible did. And it doesn't make any sense to me. I'm just going to be honest with you. 
this, I, I can get in my head about this at times and go, ugh, this doesn't seem right. Something about this doesn't seem right. We kept on talking about it and we started to, this, this is a lesson for parents. Have the hard conversations with your kids, even if you don't fully know the answers. And she said, well, dad, you know, we were talking about in school. She said, what about ectopic pregnancies where a, um, the fertilized egg never even makes it to the womb? And now you're telling it's going to kill the woman and you're telling me you can't. Well, notice, here's what we did. I said, well, let's go to the Word. Because <laughs> I was like, I don't have the answer for that. <laughs> and so I went back to the Scriptures and I said, before you were formed in your mother's womb, He knew you. You know what the... You know what the, uh, the original word womb there, I can't remember if it's the Greek or the Hebrew, but you know what, you know what that original word there is? It's the word we get uterus. Uterus. So I'm like, well, hang on just a second. Let's talk about this. So we got to digging, talked about the, the, the lifespan of a fertilized egg and all these different things. And, I, and all of a sudden, again, this is where you may get mad at me. I'm, I'm just telling you where I'm at right now. So just, just bear with me. I'm like, well, hang on. The scripture says, before he, knew you in the, before he formed you in your mother's womb, womb means uterus, there's an opportunity here. It looks like we're in ectopic pregnancies, not actually in the uterus yet. I could, see a, I could see a reason for going in and doing this. Now, you may be like, there you are. You're, you're starting to slip. No, I'm actually doing the best I can to use the Bible for my answers, not Dr. Phil or not the Republican Party, not the Democratic Party, the Bible. And here's what I know. When I'm using the Bible, there is mercy for me. There's mercy. I may, turns out, I may, I may turn out to be right. I may turn out like, man, this whole thing was right the whole time. I might turn out to be wrong. That's why we have the new covenant. My final destination is not determined on my perfect dissection of the scriptures on really hard topics. But here's what I do know. I better be willing to have those conversations or I'm going to have a 17-year-old daughter who's confused and thinks, you know what? Maybe this doesn't have the answers. Maybe it doesn't have all the answers. Maybe it's not the truth. You got to be willing to have the hard conversations. Dads, please hear my heart. Please start pastoring your home. I'm begging you. You need to know the Word. You need to be talking the Word with your kids. That moment with my daughter was invaluable to me. I didn't wait for somebody else to teach her this. She brought me her questions. And I'm just going to say this. You may not even agree with this. She didn't bring it to me because I was a, I'm a pastor. She brought it to me because I'm her dad. Dads, you need to know the Word. Not because you're called to preach. Because you have kids. You have a family that's looking for you to lead. Which means you need to have some of these answers. We gotta talk about these hard, we gotta talk about speaking in tongues. We actually have to talk about this. And I didn't grow up in a church that spoke in tongues. That's okay, no big deal. I'm sorry that you grew up in a church that didn't read all the Bible. It's okay, it really is, it's really okay. I, I've, been, I've been doing some research. I, don't, I, I know a lot about what I think I believe. <laughs> kind of an oxymoron. Uh, I know a lot about what I think I believe. You know what I don't know a lot about? What other people believe. So I've been following, and now my algorithm on my YouTube channel is so messed up. I'm pretty sure YouTube thinks I'm reformed. Uh, because I've been doing some research. Like, I, I, I want to know. I, I know what I believe. I want to hear what these other people, what are they saying? What's, what's showing up in, the, in our church? Like, what's, what, what, what framework are people coming in with? 
And uh, I was listening to this, this uh, it was actually a Reformed Leaders Conference. And they had all the names. I'm not going to say the names, but in the Reformed world, it was all the bigwigs. And uh, they were up on stage and one of the guys, they did a Q&A and one person stand up in the back, which I thought was so interesting the way he even phrased his, framed his question. He says, what is the Reformed view on speaking in tongues? Anytime the Reformed view is more important than the Bible view, I think we got a problem. Even the way he phrased it, let me know. Okay, I don't, I don't love that. So he's like, he wanted to know how he could be accurately Reformed. <laughs> but he says, what's the Reformed view on speaking in tongues? And one of the, uh, the wise guys, no pun intended, um, he starts speaking in German, just mocking, and the whole crowd erupted in laughter. And then after he got done and, and, uh, and, the, and the laughter kind of stopped, all of a sudden one of the other guys said, my brother said, and he fake interpreted his tongue. Everybody erupts in laughter all over again. And I'm just telling you, it grieved my spirit. It grieved my spirit. And I thought to myself, wow, something about the spirit of that does not seem right. So I did, I did a little more digging. I'm like, okay, I see that you're going to make fun of it. But now when he, give me some, I, you surely came to some conclusion from something. And the guy goes on to read from Acts chapter 2, and he talks about how the original language, um, uh, the original time, the first time that believers ever spoke in tongues, it says that all the, the Jewish believers, they all heard the tongue in their own dialect. And so he talks about how tongues is not some language that no one understands. It's a supernatural ability to speak a language, a foreign language that maybe you didn't learn already. And so I thought, all right, well, let's just say that you've got the, this, this group of people has the market cornered. How often in your church do people speak in tongues? Because clearly you have the market cornered and know all that there is to know about this. So the Lord must going to be elevate you to the top of the world so that you can teach us all how to speak in tongues and do and how often does it happen, which it never happens. But my other, all of a sudden I had this thought like, okay, what if they're right? You ever heard any child start speaking any language for the first time? And did you understand anything that they were saying? No. Except for moms. Moms have this ability. It's like, kid walks up, says he wants a fruit roll-up. Don't know where you got that. That's tongues and interpretation right there. Here's my point. I think I know what I believe. They clearly know what they believe. What I do know is that the Bible says multiple times they were born again, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began speaking in tongues right thereafter. I would rather go to heaven talking like a baby by faith than standing on my arrogant stage acting like I know all there is to know about it having never done it. Can you imagine? Lord, what if he asks? Hey, what was the deal with that tongue thing? Oh, I, I, uh, it, it never came on me. Oh, really? Did you ever try? Well, see, what, what had happened was... Um, if you translate the Latin, to, yeah, I know I wrote it. Like, uh, you, did you know that you can understand this much? But it's, it's the faith, it's the acting on the word that you know, not the not acting on the word that you do know. Well, I didn't do anything because I didn't want to make an error. The exact reason Jesus died on the cross. So that we had the freedom to live by faith, not expecting a punishment for not getting it exactly right. 
which is why we got to talk about it. And I have to invite, I speak in tongues. I've been speaking in tongues this whole service. <sighs> All during worship, I pray in tongues 90%, 90% of my prayer life is tongues. 10% is English. I, I, if you're not speaking in tongues, I would implore you to go read in Jude where it says, build yourself up on your most holy faith, speaking in other tongues. Now, I find it funny that that scripture would be in there if tongues was speaking another language that you don't know. Build yourself up on your most holy faith, speaking in other tongues. Just you there, all for you. Build yourself up. And I don't know the difference between holy faith and most holy faith, but there's still a little bit of American left in me. I want the most is holiest faith, if that's even a thing. Where does that come from? Speaking in other tongues. And at a minimum, there's nothing God has for you that doesn't make your life better. Not one thing. There ain't one thing in here that says, no, this is, that's not better for you. Well, do you have to speak in tongues to go to heaven? Is just getting to heaven your goal? Because I thought we believed that we were here to see heaven come to earth, not just us go to heaven. So now all of a sudden my minimum standard is, do I have to? No, you get to. That's why the Bible calls it a gift. And he's the best gift giver there is. See, we have to talk about these things that make people feel uncomfortable, that bring understanding into areas that maybe they've never had understanding before. Why? Because Jesus didn't back off of hard topics. He didn't back off, double down, triple down. Close with this. Love it. And it's funny too, because this is in John. John was the disciple who self-proclaimed, I am the disciple that Jesus loves. He even wants, to, he even wants, to, put it in scriptures, in the book of John, talks about the disciple who ran outran all the other disciples. It's like, he wants you to know, I am the fastest and I am the most loved. But even John, he, he, I'm, so, I'm so glad John had some humility because here in John chapter six, verse 68, he realized, I'm not the one that realized this. Simon Peter's the one. He said, but Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? When Jesus is like, y'all gonna leave too? You're gonna hear a hard teaching, a difficult teaching, a hard, something that you don't all the way understand and bail? He's like, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You have the words of eternal life. You've also, we've also become to believe and know, not just believe, but we know that you are who you said you are. We believe who you said you are. Final thoughts, we have to get to the point where just like the disciples, we embrace the difficult truths of the Bible, which means we actually have to have to know the Bible. We have to know what the Word of God says. You don't read the Bible so that you can check it off, I read my Bible today. That's not the goal. The goal is to actually get to know Him. Moses said it, Lord, show me your ways that I may know you. Number two, don't follow popular follow Jesus. There will be a lot of things that will be popular, but they won't be Jesus. And last but not least, when confronted with, by Jesus and the Word, just change. Let me just say this. Some of the stuff that I said could have been hard and challenging for you, but your, the call of God on your life has no time for shame. The call of God on your life has no time for you to throw your sucker in the dirt and roll around and say, well, I haven't tied before and I, I'll start and then I'll stop and I'll start and then I'll stop. Guess what? Start again. This is not a message called to bring shame because the cross took care of that. Jesus took care of that. But it is a message to say, hey, get back in the game. 
put your walking shoes on and get back to following. Well, I, I mean, no, no, leave it behind. Forgetting the, what the scripture say. Forget those things that are behind. They are of no good to us right now. But what can be good for you is what's in front of you, who you're following and what you're doing today. Amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you'd like to join us in person for church, Renew Life meets every Sunday morning at the YWCA at 6501 University Avenue in Lubbock, Texas. For more information on our ministry, check out renewlifechurch.com or find us on social media. We hope to see you soon.